wild feathers. I adore this guest that we have on the show today. She is so bubbly. You can just feel her energy and her passion. Um, her name is Abby Brown, and she is the founder of H2OM. And she's turning mindlessness into mindfulness by recycling plastic bottles and plastic from the ocean into really cool, fun, vibrant leggings and sports bras. And she's just awesome. We hear about her aspirations and some of her goals and some of the challenges she's faced and lessons she's learned and how she came up with this idea. Uh, and so such a fun conversation. So without further ado, Excited! I uh, we I have a special guest with us, Abby Brown today, who is the founder and CEO of H Two Ohm, and also I met her at the WVS, the Women's Venture Summit, which was fantastic, and so um, got to see her products in person, which were super fun, super fun. Anyway, so welcome! So excited to have you here. Thank you, thank you. I'm a pleasure to be here. Feel yeah, honored. yeah. We were just chatting. She's been doing pitches this week and she's raising funding, which we'll get to later, but that's a busy, busy week and exhausting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> if anyone's uh, seeing me right now, a couple bags underneath my eyes, <laughs> but this <two> shall pass. <laughs> You're so cute. Okay. So, well, let's dive in. What is H2OM? How did it come about? Um, where did the idea come from and how did you become a founder? Yeah. So kind of a lot to unpack there yeah, yeah. To do it, um, as best as I can. So I actually lived in Australia back in 2008 for a couple years and was able to go to Asia several times, um, Bali in particular. I loved to go visit and noticed when I was over there, there was just a ton of trash on the beach. And um, it's always kind of been something that has stuck with me. And so fast forward years later, um, 2019, I was living in San Diego where I live now and I was walking on the beaches and doing kind of my own beach cleanups. And I honestly was so overwhelmed in the moment with how much trash there was in our city. Um, one that, you know, we have surfers and water bearers and people who adore the beach and, and seem to really um, appreciate a clean environment. And still we had this in our backyard. And so in that moment was what really kind of, I think, created a founder out of me and um, is where the, the idea of H2OM was born. And it was really this concept of turning mindlessness into mindfulness and pulling that waste um, from the water, from other waterways and turning it into something that um, consumers could use um, in a different manner. And so I like to say turning trash into treasure. Yeah. And 
And what started honestly as a simple beach cleanup idea, um, I had this idea to create this bag from the trash that people could have their own beach cleanups with that are made from discarded um, fishing nets had then since transpired to making leggings and um, sports bras, so more active wear um, to reach my community. I also am a former yoga teacher, so I knew I wanted to make a product that would be able to relate with um, those that I was around a lot. And I, I really understood their needs being in kind of that fitness um, space, you know, mindfulness as well. And the idea of H2OM, like I said, it, it's that mindful um, type of product that's made from mindlessness. Yeah, I love it. So you come from a background, it looks like you have a mix of graphics and creative work and program management. How is that transition going from that to a founder to where you were? Are you a solo founder? I am. Okay. Yep. So going from that world to doing all the things. <laughs> um, I had to take a deep breath just to really even talk about that because it really has kind of taken my breath away. Um, yeah. The transition has been very difficult for me. Um, not so much in the creative aspect, marketing, mm -hmm. advertising, communications. That's kind of my jam. Um, I have a master's in communications and advertising. I had worked in advertising industries. I've worked for clients um, on production. I've worked in print, broadcast, um, events for over 10 years. And I managed creative, te creative teams and really have come to understand the creative process, which really kind of gave me that insight of start to finish kind of mentality as I was the driver behind that type of process. Um, and so transitioning out of that really happened during 2020. Um, events were shut down and that was no longer really going to be a viable source for me to, um, you know, continue, I guess, my path forward. And I had to start thinking about, well, what am I going to do if they never come up? You know, it was like the world was ending. We didn't know. Right. So what can I do now? And that's when I came back to this idea, like, how, okay, how do I tran transfer what I've learned from these roles and now start working on creating a product? And that part was all exciting for me, the research, the development, the kind of the diving into the unknown and really being able to manage it from start to finish was amazing. And it really excited me. What was so challenging was getting into garment manufacturing. Yeah. Um, I have lots of questions about that. Yeah. yeah was so challenging. I had, I mean, I, I had a minor background in fashion merchandising, but even with that, and even my friends that are fashion designers, like the garment manufacturing industry, apparel industry is completely different than I think you would be able to even learn in school or, you know, from some of those jobs. So I really struggled, um, really diving into creating a product in this industry for sure. Yeah. Well, okay. So what's, if you were to pinpoint what are two big struggles there, like what are bi two big hurdles that people have to overcome? So like if there's somebody out there that's wants to do that, just they need to know that these are going to be two obstacles that they're going to have to figure out. Yeah. Um, consult maybe an expert or someone that works in the industry that you're looking to get into before you just head first, go and try to talk to those suppliers and manufacturers now that I've established those relationships with my factories, I mean, they said I'm one of thousands of people who reach out and say, I want to create a fashion brand. So 
you're not really taken seriously, to be honest, um, yeah. when you've been there and when you don't know the terminology and the things that they're asking for, you're kind of coming ill-equipped to the situation. They want you to have, you know, your ducks in a row if you're trying to get a product, a sample created. And it really took me almost like a year and a half in research and development because I was learning that process as I was going. And luckily, some of my factories honestly did mentor me through it. But there's a lot that are like, we're done with you. <laughs> like, right. yeah. you know. I'm um, sure they get hit up all the time, though. That's got to be overwhelming for them. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I mean, they said thousands. And and these uh, these ambitious individuals like myself really don't know, you know, that industry. A lot of them just disappear. They don't really come back. So nine out of 10 times, they don't really make it. So they can't really take them seriously. And the factory doesn't want to spend time on someone who's not going to eventually bring, you know, them in. Right. Right. Um, and then I'd say the second thing with it in this industry is just to try to slow down. Um, you know, it's very, I think any founder will say this, everything is, you needed it yesterday and everything's happening so fast, but there's a lot to be learned. And there's a lot of mistakes that you can learn that can cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And by doing the research, taking a pause, like maybe paying a little bit for a resource to come in to help you. And again, back to kind of that mentorship, mm-hmm. I think eliminate a lot of the problems um, as you're starting a brand. Yeah, that's good advice. So how do you, okay, I'm going to have, I have several <laughs> questions here. How do you get the trash well, first of all, is the track because you're taking this trash and you're recycling it into clothing, correct? Correct. Now, is there a specific area that you're getting your trash from? <laughs> well, so this is actually a re- really good clarifying question. Um, so I do my beach cleanups daily and I'm collecting trash and I recycle the trash, but there's not a recycling center that I've been able to partner with locally here. Um, to be able to then turn that trash necessarily into how I then transform it into apparel. So I had to do a lot of research to find, are there companies out there that are doing this? And there is. Um, This company is based in North Carolina. It's a very sophisticated um, recycling facility specifically for transforming plastic into fiber. And So that process is is really expensive, um, really sophisticated. And there's not a lot of um, plants that will do this because of how timely it is, how expensive. So they work with third parties who are in the ocean plastic kind of crisis space. And they collect and then work with them to then bring the garbage per se to their facility where they can then kind of cleanse it, break it down and turn it into fiber, which then can be turned into a variety of different types of items. So, um, but the one thing that is cool about the process is, um, reprieve, which is the manufacturer that I work with for this recycled, um, performance fiber is the number one trusted recycled performance fiber. So they have a QR code when they pick up their trash that scans to say that it is verified, recycled, and it was collected, not created, which seems crazy. But because this is starting to catch on, there are manufacturers who are creating plastic to then break it down to create fabric. So no um, way. 
yeah, like it's it's being capitalized on. Um, I won't say exactly where because I right. don't want you know to pinpoint right. that. Yeah, there has been. Um, that research. seems like an enormous amount of work for the yeah. cheap way out. Like, but but in saying that, plastic is really really inexpensive to create, but yeah. to collect it is very expensive. It's wow. you know, you're collecting all this and then you're bringing it to one facility. And then you're going through this whole process of then breaking it down. So you eliminate a lot of steps, I guess, if you're creating it um, and getting what you need without having to go through that heavy kind of transition phase to actually get the plastic. Yeah, that makes me sad. Like, that's just, you know what? Anything for a buck, I tell you. It makes me really sad, too, because we have so much plastic. Um, you know, floating in the oceans and in landfills and we don't need more of it. I mean, I'm really <laughs> dedicated to this because I want to clean up the issue and the fact that there's companies out there that are using recycled plastic to create their products, but there's no verification necessarily behind it. So they don't, they don't even have transparency and to potentially what might be happening in order to create their end product. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's great that you have someone in the U.S., right? Um, and so then they create the fibers, the material, but then do you have to take it to another place in order to get it? So there are like so many steps in this process. Oh yeah. It's, it's very kind of complex and complicated. So a little bit about the process is when the bottles are collected and they go to reprieve facility, the bottles are then, they go through this process that cleanses them essentially. And then they break them, the, the full bottle down to these little chips. And from there, they create like resin pellets almost. And from the pellets, they melt it down and then are able to spin what is known as recycled polyester. Um, virgin polyester, which is what we're comparing it to, uses like oils and other chemicals and in order to create it. And honestly, is in 80% of our clothing. Mm. Um, so to get What's that, that called? That's called what I use is uh recycled polyester. Right, right. The other one was called what? Virgin polyester. Virgin. That's why I thought you said. Okay. So mm. weird. Okay. Sustainable or or good for the environment. Right. Um, and so once the fiber is creative, um, created, Reprieve works with fabric mills all throughout the world that then purchase their fiber and create fabric or whatever type of um, product that their clients are looking for. So I will then work with a fabric mill to get the necessary amounts of reprieve fiber that we need to then turn it into fabric. My leggings are blended with a little bit of spandex. So you can actually, I think I've shared this with you, like get your toe into it. Otherwise it wouldn't fit around your body without that. Um, so that's the only portion of the material that's not recycled. Unfortunately, there is no recycled spandex yet. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's essentially what happens. And then they create the fabric at the mill. The mill will either work directly with you and um, your factory, or the mill will sell it then to kind of a print house um, fabric supplier that then you purchase it from. So when I first started this, I was going to the um, fabric supplier okay. um, mill. So I had like one more step, one more markup. <laughs> you know, before right. it actually right. made its way to me. Um, so yeah, it, it's quite a journey to get my hands on the plastic bottles that are being collected. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It reminds me of this is not, I don't mean this in a negative way whatsoever, but I think about the little bags of chips in like gas stations and um, like 7-Elevens, right? The amount 
of work and the process that it took to get those chips created, made, and then put in a bag on a graphic bag and then in the truck and delivered to all of those stores. It's just mind blowing to me. And they used to cost 85 cents and I'm now they're probably a dollar and I don't even know how much they're, but like miraculous. I'm like, how do you make profit off of that? All those people, I get it's mass production. I get that. But it just reminds me of, I think of that when I think of all these processes that I don't think people realize what goes through what they're like, what you wear, what you use, what you eat, like the process that it took to get to you is crazy. Yeah. And I think that's like an awareness to an appreciation of how products are made. Right. And something as simple as a chip, I mean, is not really that simple. <laughs> right. They're creating it, you know, it has to go through a lot of different hands to get it to the shelf. So yeah, um, yeah that is um, definitely an appreciation for that. And I think when you take it a step further of like, we're going to probably cut into our profits, but how can we make this packaging more sustainable? Because oh, yeah, the packaging. It's single use, right? Right. Now, and you can't really recycle it. So, um, yeah, there we have a lot of issues when it comes to that too. Yeah, yeah, like that's like the next level of what you've got to figure out, and then Mm -hmm. shipping and warehousing. Like, do you store your stuff, or do you have it stored in a warehouse and shipping goes like? mind-boggling to me. (laughs) There's so much involved. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would be so happy if I had a warehouse and I was actually at that level. I am doing everything out of my garage right now. Oh my goodness. That's amazing though. Fully bootstrapped. So I actually manufacture. um, So once I have my fabric, I print the designs on it. I cut and sew. um, And I don't- don't, Yourself? Not my my factory. Oh, oh. I was like, holy smellies. Okay. My factory cuts and sews everything in Los Angeles right now. So I then go up and I I pick up my stuff in bulk. So like sometimes when um, you receive something, you know, it, it gets shipped to you depending on where you're ordering it. It's in this small little plastic bag. I have everything wrapped in just one large plastic bag to reduce the amount of plastic that we're using in the packaging. And then I just go up to save on shipping costs and actually like know my factories. I I know my workers and I know those that are actually creating my products, the owners. And I love that kind of um, relationship that I've been able to establish with them. It's really fun. Um, And, and they're, they're invested in working with me then because of that relationship. But so then I bring it back to San Diego and I have my garage and I tag and bag and <laughs> post everything in there. And, um, you know, I'm being told I should do that for as long as I possibly can oh, um, yeah. to save on warehousing costs. Um, but yeah, so it really is um, a full-time job around the clock. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you have anybody that works for you that on your team that helps you out? No, I, I really, I, I am solo still. I would love to have people um, to come in and help. I have freelancers. So I work with a fashion designer that's in New York. I work with a production um, kind of technical manager that's also based in San Diego that I, I happen to meet through my fashion designer. But they're all kind of on an hourly basis, um, use as needed. Sometimes if I have double events booked, um, I'll have someone that works for me help set up, but it's just, it's a lot, you know, and, um, 
I'm still starting up. So it's really hard to be able to funnel like money into those costs if I absolutely don't need to, because you know, right. we're just cost cutting wherever we can um, to just try to get more revenue. Yeah. Well, I would think that your marketing background would be a really big help in um, I I would think that would be invaluable when it comes to launching um, a startup as well as like a product based startup, right? Like that's huge. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the fun part for me. I love the marketing. I love um, ideating and thinking about like ways to kind of grow this brand. I actually did a soft launch um, event last year in June, and I say soft launch because my product was six months delayed. So I had planned um, and produced this really big event here in San Diego where I, um, it's called the Hornblower. They can fit 1500 people on this boat, but I was able to fit about 150 um, yogis on the top. And we did a yoga class and we sailed around San Diego and I had a DJ. I had about 20 different um, sponsors that worked with me on the event, donated items, talked about sustainability. It was a it was a huge event and people actually paid to come to it. So that helped pay the cost of the actual boat. Yeah. So it was a, a wild success. Um, San Diego Business Journal was on there and, and did a write up on me about making waves in the apparel space. And it, it received a lot of like coverage. And that was so fun for me to be able to do that. Um, and I look forward to being able to kind of execute those types of campaigns in the future, um, because that's where I feel I'm, I'm very strong, but as a solo, uh, preneur, you know, it's like you get in the weeds of just doing everything. And sometimes you get further away from what you're really good at right? just do the things to keep going. Um, so I'm kind of in that phase where I'm looking to get out of the stuff that I know I don't want to do anymore, but also, you know, grow responsibly. Right. Right. You have to do what you have to do for the meantime. So now what is your biggest platform of selling? What I find that a lot of the guests I have on here go in different strategies. Like some go, some start off local, um, like local art, whatever, um, local stores, boutiques, some go to the big boys, right? Like they're wanting to go big. Like what has, what's been your strategy? Some are all online. Um, so what's your strategy? Yeah. So I built a website in the very beginning and I've, I have my products all up there and in order to help fund my first round of production, I did pre-sales. So I was really social on social media, um, about launching my brand and getting into production. And I, I had a bunch of pre-sales come through in that way. And then I really honestly have just hit the streets where I'm in those local markets and festivals and events and just getting myself out there. I mean, we met at Stella. So it's like any opportunity that I can be an exhibitor, kind of be seen to share my products. Like I'm in that space. Um, as of June this past year, I sold out essentially of my first round of inventory. So I've been waiting to get back into production um, which is great, but it has limited me from being able to kind of push this to um, a level that I want to get it where I can grow. You know, mm-hmm. my fabric is super expensive. My minimums are are high. My my costs are high if I don't hit them. So um, that's why I've been fundraising for the last couple months, and we can get into that too. But 
right. Yeah. It really had been the first six months was just local market penetration and meeting people face to face. And I saw a lot of success in doing that and great gained so much feedback. Um, what I can do next time, other fr- product features, um, getting into plus sizes. So this was like a, an amazing opportunity for me in the last six months to really test the market, see if there's product market fit. Now I know that there is and what can I do to make it even bigger and better and kind of move forward from there. Yeah. I think it's, it sounds, I shouldn't say, I think it's, uh, it sounds like it would be more costly doing all the stuff in the U S and I hate to say that. Um, but just knowing stories from other people. So you have to be um, your overhead cost, I guess, production costs have to be probably higher than people that are doing it from Indonesia. And I mean, I know that China tariffs, a lot of people are moving away from there, but, um, yeah, yeah. it tells me that there it's high quality, right? Like, hmm. oh yeah, high quality. And it takes a lot longer. Um, you know, we're not really built here in the U S to be mass manufacturers. That's why everything is done over in China or overseas. Um, and so we don't really, we can't compete right those prices because we're not manufacturing at that type of scale in saying that, like, I still am able to get the markup that I need, um, to, to make sure I stay in business, but, you know, compared to others that are, are overseas their yeah, markups are much better and right but they have to pay for a lot of transportation and shipping and you know i don't know it kind of all balances itself out i would think yeah we we're definitely still paying a significant more to manufacture in the u.s but like you said you're dealing with you know tariffs and taxes and shipping delays um you know there's a lot you can't control either you Mm -hmm. know your stuff could get stuck in the ocean essentially that's what was happening to people literally in 2020 they couldn't get the for months. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't even manufacturing over there, but my suppliers were working with Mm -hmm. their fabrics sometimes from over there. So then I was waiting on them to get me my supplies. So it's kind of a a domino effect, but it is something I'm considering, um, in the future is potentially going overseas. I'm not sure where that, that is yet. Um, but just more because the they're more sophisticated in and how they operate and they're set to be able to operate at a larger level. So I might outgrow those factories here. Is the yeah. Hope. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. How long does it take for production from like when you put in, we'll just say, well, does the recycle company, I'm assuming that they're just constantly recycling and they have this stuff ready. So then your mills would have it. So when you go to place an order and you're wanting to do like a new, I want to say scene, but that's not the right word. A new, I don't want to say batch, but like a new design or a new big order, right? Yeah. From start to finish. How long does that take? Anywhere from six to 10 weeks. Um, that's not super bad. No. And, and that there's a lot of factors with that. That's if my fabric is already made. So I'm not having a fabric mill needing to make the fabric. If they have to make it based on what my compositions are, then they, that could take four weeks in addition. Um, so 
if assuming my fabric is made, it goes to the printer, which they need anywhere from 10 days to two weeks. And then from the printer, it goes over to cut and sew, which is six to eight weeks. Sometimes it can be quicker than that. Um, sometimes it's more delayed than that. You know, it, it just really depends. But I like to say like six to eight weeks is probably um, a good time frame. Going 10 is longer than expected, um, mm. especially if you're going overseas. I mean, they can turn it around much quicker there, but then you're waiting <laughs> potentially on your shipping. Yeah, right. So what's your favorite part outside of marketing? What's your favorite part? Um, of being a founder? I think just, I think just like meeting other founders and being in this space of like badass people that are totally pursuing something that seems batshit crazy <laughs> to other people. It's true though. We're all, all a little crazy. We're all jumping without a parachute, you know? And yeah. it's like, we have a deep down trust that eventually we're going to land. And I like that just excites me to see that type of and be around that type of energy. You know, it's like I never wanted to play small in this life. I always knew I wanted to like have big impact and knowing I can do that and then be surrounded with people like yourself that are are, are doing their own thing in their own ways and, and creating their own impact just really makes this so in inspiring for me. Yeah, that's awesome. It is fun. It is fun to be part of the community. If it's, I think if it's in your blood, it's like, I don't know, you feed off of it. And it's just miraculous the things that people think of, right? And they, they're doing it, right? It's one thing to think about it. I know lots of people that come up with ideas, but the actual like process like yourself, I have this idea, right? I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do it. And you're doing it. That's great. Yeah. The hustle, the grind, and I think the creative process that goes into it. Like, I just, I respect it so much. And I, yeah. I love hearing how people have created what they've created and just pouring their passions into it, you know, not going to, to work to go to work. It's like they're going to work to, in some way, change the world. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You, I mean, for sure. You really are changing the world too. I love it. So now what... What are your, do you, I mean, I'm not going to ask you all your deep, dark, like, uh, they're not deep and dark, but like all your uh, goals and whatnot, but where would you like to take it? Like how big, you know, some people are happy being an indie brand. Some people want to be in the targets of the world, right? So, or do you want to just create more products? Um, like, What are you, what line of thinking are you on? It can always change, but. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely my business model is is bringing me online um, so I can, you know, scale. I love to have obviously more leggings and more sea creatures, um, more terrains, um, you know, my people in mountains or rivers. Oh, or like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I want more solids. And, and so definitely like the product range, I, I want to expand for sure. Um, there's other things outside of activewear that, um, I have ideas of, and, and that's like either collaborating with a brand and doing that, but like creating a yoga mat, potentially mm -hmm. discarded fishing nets. Um, there's millions of discarded tires in the ocean right now that were put there intentionally to create these kind of fake reefs, but they're finding that they're actually like killing, um, coral and reef and it, it's harming the marine life. So now that we're moving them and it's like, how can we create something from them? You know? So 
kind of getting innovative in the materials that we use, the products we create, and then really like partnering with um, big brands to kind of make a larger impact. So my original uh, beach cleanup bag, I think there's a white label opportunity for it, working with Disney, SeaWorld, um, Birch Aquarium, and, and having these be the replacement for their plastic bags when their customers are coming and purchasing things from them. You know, something that's reusable, has education behind it, QR codes that tell the story of, you know, how this bag was made and the importance of cleaning up after ourselves. So that whole educational piece and um, and then attracting, you know, everyone is asking founders, what's your exit strategy? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't have an exit strategy. I'm, like, I'm just getting going. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it's attracting like a big player that is not yet in the sustainable space, um, especially in fashion. Like it is the second most polluting industry in the world on top of this ocean plastic crisis that we have. So there's so much education that needs to happen um, within the fashion industry. There really isn't like any standards um, and protocols that you have to follow. And so if I can use my little brand right now to be in an, a platform um, to encourage other, you know, activewear companies to potentially um, need to almost do this, right? That's like, will we, if we educate the consumer, the consumer starts to put the demand on the supplier and we start creating products that are more mindful. So if I could get acquired by big brand Lululemon and really help them um, get into sustainability and really committing to it and really caring about that, like caring about the planet and caring about the people that they're, they're clothing, um, they're creating their clothing for, you know, and kind of changing the intention of why they created the brand in the first place, which was to let, let people go into a yoga studio, not wear like a t-shirt from spring break anymore. You know, it's like, <laughs> hey, wait, I like my t-shirt. I love it. <laughs> good old days, you know, now we're just living in our uh, swanky activewear. But yeah, it would be really nice to, you know, partner um, with a really large brand that can make really large impact and really shift the fashion industry standards. Yeah, that's fantastic. So many opportunities there. Um, mm -hmm. That's great. Um, so how can we help you? Like, what, what do you need? Like, what, I want to, we want to help. Like, what can we do? You know, I think just us chatting and kind of going through my story and, and sharing that story and seeing if there's anyone out there that resonates with it. I'm so open to um, finding mentors, finding potential brand partnerships. If someone's uh -huh. listening that plays in this space and, and has an idea, like bring it to me, let's collaborate, let's see what we can create. Um, and then really the financial piece, you know, if there is investors that are listening that are in the impact space um, and are, are looking for some something to get into, and this seems to, I guess, whet their appetite, then I yeah. would love to, um, you know, have them reach out to me, which they can through email or LinkedIn and um, just kind of continue the conversation. You know, I can't make this impact on my own. I, I, I definitely have realized in the journey that I need to ask for help and I'm at the point in the journey where I need the help and that's exciting, right? It's, it's yeah. growing games, but um, yeah, I think just you having a platform like this and allowing us to elevate our voices and be heard is amazing in itself. Well, thanks. And that's 
fantastic because I have got lots of collaborating brands that love to work with other brands. And um, the cool thing is, is that it may not be complementary, like they may not be in the clothing world, but they leverage each other's products in like shipping out a card or coupon card or something within their products. And um, this woman is amazing who I'm going to introduce you to as well as a few others. So love it. Yes. Um, I, I can list off probably multiple (laughs) products here that you can um, brands and they're all fantastic women. That's the best part of it. I love it. I'm so excited. Um, Yes. And I, one girl could probably assist with the mentoring. She holds a call for women founders and lots of stuff. So I'm excited. I can help you out there. For funding, like what are you looking for? Are you looking for seed, pre-seed, um, series A? Like what are your thresholds? I'm pre-seed right now. Okay. Um, and so I am in presentations and pitches and asking for 300000 oh, um, okay. which would help with uh, marketing, manufacturing, and resources. And my it's a safe agreement with a minimum of um, 25000 Okay. Right. And are you mostly, so are you mostly going to angels or what's your, um, what's your I strategy have, there? I have both angels and VCs, to be honest. Um, I, I, I think I'm attracting more angels, um, at this level of where I'm at, cause I'm still pretty a, a new company. Um, and same with my revenue, like I need to get my traction up. So angels, private investors, um, those are the people that I'm mostly targeting. Okay. Uh, I've got a few lists that I can give you of people that, um, do angel investments and, uh, they may be, they're usually broken down by industry, but yeah, for sure. And all you investors, we have investors on this, um, podcast. So all my previous investor guests perk up your ears. Cause we've got some girls that are looking for funding. yes that's cool and you know what i think is super fun about your um product is that there are so many fun colors it's vivacious i think you made some comment when we were when you were giving your little two minute like one minute 60 second commercial or whatever elevator pitch uh something about black leggings um what is what did you say do you remember no, I received a couple of chuckles in the audience um, to stand out in a sea of common black yoga leggings. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. love it. While standing up for environmental preservation. I mean, that's yeah. the goal, you know, and I go to, I go to so many workout classes and I'm in there and it's black and gray and just kind of like boring colors, but like I'm starting to see the color wheel being shifted and some like brighter colors coming out. And I'm like, all right, like, we're adopting to this, you know, people want something that isn't, doesn't look like everyone else, you know, and the feedback I've received from my customers is that you can obviously wear it to the gym, but people wear it, you know, out to brunch. It's like, you right. just throw a little cute jacket over it and they're yeah. wild, but they always get attention. So yeah, they're definitely a conversation piece. That's for sure. I like to call myself uh, the Betsy Johnson of yoga. I think that's great. Oh, I thought it was super cute. I would never think to do this, but whenever you had your hot pink jacket on and you had layers going on with your leggings, I'm like, that's brilliant. Like, yeah. I don't know. I didn't think 
I wear them like that. You know, it's just like my go-to. I just put them on and it's not necessarily I'm going to yoga or Pilates. I'm right. going now. Right, right. It's comfort. I'm and wearing it's cute. a women's conference. <laughs> uh, I thought it was great. And I love your earrings. They remind me of your brand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got a brand. <laughs> super cute. Super cute. Okay. So we're going to help you out. And, um, we're going to get some traction for you. And, um, if anyone wants to buy your products, where should they go? My website, they can go to www.shoph2om. So that's om.com. Perfect. And I, they can follow you on Instagram as well. So if you have anything new coming out, you'll, I'm certain that you'll probably announce yep. it there. At yep. shoph2om. Yep. On Perfect. Instagram. Well, you heard it, everyone, and I am so excited for you. Uh, I know I keep saying that, but I can just tell, I can feel your energy. You're doing the right things right. You have passion. You're solving problems, and I think you're going to be very successful. Uh, so Thanks. That warmed uh, my heart. <laughs> uh, I look forward to watching your journey, and as you grow, and if there's anything that we can do to support you, let us know. That sounds great. And I hope to be able to be on here in the future. And we're looking back at this one day and right. seeing how much we both have grown. Right. In a year. We'll see. Yeah. Right. Let's do it. Yay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome. Thank you. Appreciate right. you. <laughs> have a great day. All right. Bye, Brooke. Bye. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, subscribe to our channel, The Wild Feather. If you want to learn more about our guests or their products and companies, you can visit our website at thewildfeatherpodcast.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter to receive info on our upcoming episodes. Follow us on social media to get the latest deets. We're on all of them, so pick your favorite and follow us. And if you're a founder and need funding or accelerator info or business resources, you can go to our website, thewildfeatherpodcast.com and find some valuable information and resources there. No matter if you're a founder, your investor, or what your path is, just remember you were born with wings. <laughs> <laughs>